Section 10 of The Dream of the Red Chamber, Book 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Dream of the Red Chamber, Book 2, by Chiao Shu Qing. Translated by Henry Bancroft Jolie. Chapter 29, Part 2. Dowager Lady Jia and her companions thereupon walked upstairs and sat in the main part of the building. Lady Feng and her friends adjourned into the eastern part, while the waiting maids and servants remained in the western portion and took their turns in waiting on their mistresses. Before long, Jia Zhen came back. The place, he announced, have been chosen by means of slips picked out before the guard. The first one on the list is the record of the white snake. Of what kind of old story does the record of the white snake treat? Olidija inquired. The story above Han Gaozu, replied Jia Jin, killing a snake and then ascending the throne. The second plate is the bed covered with ivory tablets. Has this been assigned to second place? asked Daoja Lady Jia. Yet never mind, for as the gods will it us, there is no help then not to demur. But what about the third play? She went on to inquire. The Nanke dream is the third, Jia Chen answered. This response elicited no comments from Daoja Lady Jia. Jia Chen therefore withdrew downstairs and betook himself outside to make arrangements for the offerings to the gods for the paper money and eatables that had to be burned, and for the theatricals about to begin. So we will leave him without any further allusion, and take up our narrative with Bao Yu. Sitting himself upstairs next to old Lady Cha, he called to a servant girl to fetch the tray of presents given to him a short while back, and putting on his own trinket of jade, he fumbled about with the things for a bit, and picking up one by one. He handed them to his grandmother to admire, but old Lady Cha espied among them a unicorn made of pebbleless gold with kingfisher feathers inserted, and eagerly extending her arm, she took it up. This object, she smiled, seems to me to resemble very much one I've seen one also by the young lady of some household or other of ours. Senior cousin, Xie Xiangyun, chimed in Bao Chai, a smile playing on her lips, as one. But it's a trifle smaller than this. Is it indeed Yue? Who has it? exclaimed old lady Jia. Now that she lives in our house, remarked Bao Yu, how is it that even I haven't seen anything of it? Cousin Bao Chai, rejoined Tan Chen laughingly, has the power of observation. No matter what she sees, she remembers. Lin Daiyu gave a sardonic smile. As far as other matters are concerned, she insinuated, her observation isn't worth speaking of, whereas she's extra observant is in articles people may wear about their persons. Bao Chai, upon catching this sneering remark, at once turned her head round and pretended she had not heard. But as soon as Bao Yu learned that Xi Xiangyong possessed a similar trinket, he speedily picked up the unicorn and hid it in his breast, indulging at the same time in further reflection, yet fearing lest people might have noticed that he kept back 
that particular thing the moment he discovered that Xi Xiang Yun had one identical with it. He fixed his eyes intently upon all around while clutching it. He found, however, that not one of them was paying any heed to his movements, except Lin Dayu, who, while gazing at him, was nodding her head, as if with the idea of expressing her admiration. Pao Yu therefore at once felt inwardly ill at ease, and pulling out his hand, he observed, addressing himself to Dayu with an assumed smile, This is really a fine thing to play with. I'll keep it for you, and when we get back home, I'll pass a ribbon through it for you to wear. I don't care about it, said Lin Dayu, giving her head a sudden twist. Well, continued Pao Yu laughingly, if you don't like it, I can't do otherwise than keep it myself. Saying this, he once again thrust it away, but just as he was about to open his lips to make some other observation, he saw Mrs. Yao, the spouse of Jia Jin, arrive along with the second wife recently married by Jia Rong, that is, his mother and her daughter-in-law, to pay their obeisance to Dowager Lady Jia. What do you people rush over here for again? Old Lady Jia inquired. I came here for a turn, simply because I had nothing to do. But no sooner was this inquiry concluded than they heard a messenger announce that someone had come from the house of General Feng. The family of Feng Ziying had, it must be explained, come to learn the news that the inmates of the Jia mansion were offering a thanksgiving service in the temple. And without loss of time, they got together presents of pigs, sheep, candles, tea, and eatables, and sent them over. The moment Lady Feng heard about it, she hastily crossed to the main part of the two-storied building. Aya, she ejaculated, clapping her hands and laughing. I never expected anything of the sort. We merely said that we ladies were coming for a leisurely stroll, and people imagined that we were spreading a sumptuous altar with lantern viands and came to bring us offerings. But it's all our old lady's fault for putting it about. Why, we haven't even got any slips of paper with tips ready. She had just finished speaking when she perceived two matrons who acted as housekeepers in the Feng family walk upstairs. But before the Feng servants could take their leave, presents likewise arrived in quick succession from Chao, the vice president of the board. In due course, one lot of visitors followed another. For as everyone got wind of the fact that the Jia family was having Thanksgiving services, and that the ladies were in the temple, distant and close relatives, friends, old friends, and acquaintances all came to present their contributions. So much so that Dowager Lady Jia began at this juncture to feel sorry that she had ever let the cat out of the bag. This is no regular fasting, she said. We simply have come for a little change, and we should not have put anyone to any inconvenience. Although, therefore, she was to have remained present all day at the theatrical performance, she promptly returned home soon after noon, and the next day she felt very loath to go out of doors again. By striking the wall, we have also stirred up dust, Lady Feng argued. 
why we have already put those people to the trouble, so we should only be too glad today to have another outing. But as when Dowager Lady Jia interviewed the Taoist Zhang the previous day, he made allusion to Pao Yu and canvassed his engagement. Pao Yu experienced, little as one would have thought it, much secret displeasure during the whole of that day. And on his return home, he flew into a rage and abused Zhang, the rationalistic priest, for harboring designs to try and settle a match for him. At every breath and at every word, he resolved that henceforward he would not set eyes again upon the Tao's Zhang. But no one but himself had any idea of the reason that actuated him to absent himself. In the next place, Lin Taiyu began also on her return the day before to ail from a touch of the sun. So the grandmother was induced by these two considerations to remain firm in her decision not to go. When Lady Feng, however, found that she would not join them, she herself took charge of the family party and set out on the excursion. But without descending to particulars, let us advert to Bao Yu. Seeing that Lin Yu had fallen ill, he was so full of solicitude on her account that he even had little thought for any of his meals, and not long elapsed before he came to inquire how she was. Yu, on her part, gave way to fear lest anything should happen to him, and she tried to reassure him. Just go and look at the place, she therefore replied. What's the use of boxing yourself up at home? Bao Yu was, however, not in a very happy frame of mind on account of the reference to his marriage made by Jiang, the Taoist, the day before. So when he heard Lin Yu's utterances, If others don't understand me, he mused, it's anyhow excusable, but has she too begun to make fun of me? His heart smarted in consequence under the sting of a mortification a hundred times keener than he had experienced up to that occasion. Had he been with anyone else, it would have been utterly impossible for her to have brought into play feelings of such resentment. But as it was no other than Da Yu who spoke the words, the impression produced upon him was indeed different from that left in days gone by, when others employed similar language. Unable to curb his feelings, he instantaneously lowered his face. My friendship with you has been of no avail, he rejoined. But never mind, patience. This insinuation induced Lin Yu to smile a couple of sarcastic smiles. Yes, your friendship with me has been of no avail, she repeated, for how can I compare with those whose manifold qualities make them fit matches for you? As soon as this sneer fell on Bao Yu's ear, he drew near to her. Are you by telling me this, he asked, straight to her face, deliberately bent upon invoking imprecations upon me, that I should be annihilated by heaven and extinguished by earth? Lin Yu could not for a time fathom the import of his remarks. It was, Bao Yu then resumed, on account of this very conversation that I yesterday swore several oaths. And now, would you really make me repeat another one? But were the heavens to annihilate me, and the earth to extinguish me, what benefit would you derive? 
this rejoinder reminded Tai Yu of the drift of the conversation on the previous day, and as indeed she had on this occasion framed in words those sentiments which should not have dropped from her lips, she experienced both annoyance and shame, and she tremulously observed, If I entertain any deliberate intention to bring any harm upon you, may I too be destroyed by heaven and exterminated by earth. But what's the use of all this? I know very well that the allusion to marriage made yesterday by Jiang, the Taoist, fills you with dread lest he might interfere with your choice. You are inwardly so irate that you come and treat me as your malignant influence. Pao Yu, the fact is, had ever since his youth developed a peculiar kind of mean and silly propensity, having moreover from tender infancy grown up side by side with Tai Yu. Their hearts and their feelings were in perfect harmony. More, he had recently come to know to a great extent what was what, and had also filled his head with the contents of a number of corrupt books and licentious stories of all the eminent and beautiful girls that he had met to in the families of either distant or close relatives or of friends. Not one could reach the standard of Lin Yu. Hence, it was that he commenced from an early period of his life to foster sentiments of love for her. But as he could not very well give utterance to them, he felt time and again, sometimes elated, sometimes vexed, and wont to exhaust every means to secretly subject her heart to a test. Lin Yu happened, on the other hand, to possess in like manner a somewhat silly disposition, and she too frequently had recourse to feigned sentiments to feel her way, and as she began to conceal her true feelings and inclinations and to simply dissimulate, and he to conceal his true sentiments and wishes and to dissemble, the two unrealities thus blended together constituted eventually one reality. But it was hardly to be expected that trifles would not be the cause of tiffs between them. Thus it was that in Pao Yu's mind at this time prevailed the reflection that were others unable to read my feelings, it would anyhow be excusable. But is it likely that you cannot realize that in my heart and in my eyes there is no one else besides yourself? But as you were not able to do anything to dispel my annoyance, but made use instead of the language you did to laugh at me and to gag my mouth, it's evidence that, though you hold, at every second and at every moment, a place in my heart, I don't, in fact, occupy a place in yours. Such was the construction attached to her conduct by Bao Yu. Yet he did not have the courage to tax her with it. If really I hold a place in your heart, Linda Yu again reflected, why do you, or bet what's said about gold and jade being a fit match, attach more importance to this perverse report and think nothing of what I say? Did you, when I so often broached the subject of this gold and jade, behave as if you, rarely, had never heard anything about it? I would then have seen that you treat me with preference and that you don't harbor the least particle of a secret design. But how is it that the moment I allude to the topic of gold and jade, you at once lose all patience. 
This is proof enough that you are continuously pondering over that gold and jade, and that as soon as you hear me speak to you about them, you apprehend that I shall once more give way to conjectures, and intentionally pretend to be quite out of temper with the deliberate idea of cajoling me. These two cousins had, to all appearances, once been of one and the same mind, but the many issues which had sprung up between them brought about a contrary result and made them of two distinct minds. I don't care what you do, everything is well, Bao Yu further argued, so long as you act up to your feelings, and if you do, I shall be ever only too willing to even suffer immediate death for your sake. Whether you know this or not doesn't matter, it's all the same. Yet, were you to just do as my heart would have you, you afford me a clear proof that you and I are united by close ties and that you are no stranger to me. Just you mind your own business, Linda Yu on her side cogitated. If you will treat me well, I will treat you well. And what need is there to put an end to yourself for my sake? Are you not aware that if you kill yourself, I will also kill myself? But this demonstrates that you don't wish me to be near to you, and that you really want that I should be distant to you. It will thus be seen that the desire by which they were both actuated to strive and draw each other close and ever closer became contrarywise, transformed into a wish to become more distant. But as it is no easy task to frame into words the manifold secret thoughts entertained by either, we will now confine ourselves to a consideration of their external manner. The three words, a fine match, which Bao Yu heard again Linda Yu pronounced, proved so revolting to him that his heart got full of disgust, and he was unable to give utterance to a single syllable. Losing all control over his temper, he snatched from his neck the jade of spiritual perception, and clenching his teeth, he spitefully dashed it down on the floor. What rubbishy trash, he cried. I'll smash you to atoms and put an end to the whole question. The jade, however, happened to be of extraordinary hardness and did not, after all, sustain the slightest injury from this single fall. When Pao Yu realized that it had not broken, he forthwith turned himself round to get the trinket with the idea of carrying out his design of smashing it. But Tai Yu divined his intention and soon started crying. What's the use of all this? she demurred. And why, pray, do you better that dumb thing about? Instead of smashing it, wouldn't it be better for you to come and smash me? But in the middle of their dispute, Ji Juan, Xie Yin, and the other maids promptly interfered and quieted them. Subsequently, however, they show how deliberately bent Bao Yu was upon breaking the jade, and they vehemently rushed up to him to snatch it from his hand. But they failed in their endeavors, and perceiving that he was getting more troublesome than he had ever been before, they had no alternative but to go and call Jiren. Jiren lost no time in running over and succeeded at length in getting hold of the trinkets. I'm smashing what belongs to me, remarked Bao Yu with a cynical smile. And what has that to do with you people? Zhe noticed that his face had grown quite sallow from anger, 
that his eyes had assumed a totally unusual expression, and that he had never hitherto had such a fit of ill-temper, and she hastened to take his hand in hers and to smilingly expostulate with him. If you had a tiff with your cousin, she said, it isn't worthwhile flinging this down. Had you broken it, how would her heart and face have been able to bear the mortification? Linda Yu shed tears and listened the while to her remonstrances. Yet these words, which so corresponded with her own feelings, made it clear to her that Bao Yu could not even compare with Jiren and wounded her heart so much more to the quick that she began to weep aloud. But the moment she got so vexed, she found it hard to keep down the potion of Polactis and the decoction for counteracting the effects of the sun. She had taken only a few minutes back, and with a wretch she brought everything up. Ji Zhuan immediately pressed to her side and used her handkerchief to stop her mouth with. But mouthful succeeded mouthful, and in no time the handkerchief was soaked through and through. Sharon then approached in a hurry and tapped her on the back. You may of course give way to displeasure, Ji Zhuan argued, but you should, after all, take good care of yourself, miss. You have just taken the medicines and felt the better for them, and here you now begin vomiting again, and all because you have had a few words with our master Secundus. But should your complaint break out afresh, how would Mr. Bao bear the blow? The moment Bao Yu caught this advice, which accorded so thoroughly with his own ideas, he found how little Dai Yu could hold her own with Ji Zhuan. And perceiving how flushed Dai Yu's face was, how her temples were swollen, how while sobbing she panted, and how while crying she was suffused with perspiration and betrayed signs of extreme weakness, he began as the sight of her condition to reproach himself. I shouldn't, he reflected, have bandied words with her. For now that she's got into this frame of mind, I mayn't even suffer in her stead. The self-reproaches, however, which gnawed his heart, made it impossible for him to refrain from tears, much as he fought against them. Jiren saw them both crying, and while attending to Bao Yu, she too unavoidably experienced much soreness of heart. She nevertheless went on rubbing Bao Yu's hands, which were icy cold. She felt inclined to advise Bao Yu not to weep, but fearing again lest, in the first place, Bao Yu might be inwardly aggrieved and nervous, in the next, lest she should not be dealing rightly by Bao Yu, she thought it advisable that they should all have a good cry, as they might then be able to leave off she herself therefore also melted into tears. As for Ji Zhuan, at one time she cleaned the expectorated medicine, at another she took up a fan and gently fanned Dai Yu. But at the sight of the trio plunged in perfect silence, and of one and all sobbing for reasons of their own, grief, much though she did to struggle against it, mastered her feelings too, and producing a handkerchief, she dried the tears that came to her eyes. So there stood four inmates, face to face, uttering not a word and indulging in weeping. Shortly, Jiren made a supreme effort and smilingly said to Bao Yu, If you don't care for anything else, you should at least have shown some regard 
for those tassels strung on the jade, and not have wrangled with Miss Lin. Tai Yu heard these words, and mindless of her indisposition, she rushed over, and snatching the trinket, she picked up a pair of scissors, lying close at hand, bent upon cutting the tassels. Zhe Ren and Ji Zhuan were on the point of wrestling it from her, but she had already managed to mangle them into several pieces. I have, sobbed Tai Yu, wasted my energies on them for nothing, for he doesn't prize them. He's certain to find others to string some more fine tassels for him. Ren promptly took the jade. Is it worthwhile going on in this way? she cried. But this is all my fault for having blabbered just now what should have been left unsaid. Cut it, if you like, chimed in Bao Yu, addressing himself to Dai Yu. I will on no account wear it, so it doesn't matter a rap. But while all they minded inside was to create this commotion, they little dreamt that the old matrons had described Dai Yu with bitterly and vomit copiously, and Bao Yu again dashed his jade on the ground, and that not knowing how far the excitement might not go, and whether they themselves might not become involved, they had repaired in a body to the front, and reported the occurrence to Dowager Lady Jia and Madame Wang, their objects being to try and avoid being themselves implicated in the matter. Their own mistress and Madame Wang, seeing them make so much of the occurrence as to rush with precipitate haste to bring it to their notice, could not in the least imagine what great disaster might not have befallen them. And without loss of time, they betook themselves together into the garden and came to see what the two cousins were up to. Jiren felt irritated and harbored resentment against Ji Chuan. Unable to conceive what business she had to go and disturb their old mistress and Madame Wang, but Ji Chuan, on the other hand, presumed that it was Jiren who had gone and reported the matter to them, and she too cherished angry feelings towards Jiren. Dowager Lady Jia and Madame Wang walked into the apartment. They found Bao Yu on one side saying not a word, Lin Dai Yu on the other uttering not a sound. What's up again? they asked, but throwing the whole blame upon the shoulders of Ji Ren and Ji Juan. Why is it, they inquired, that you have not diligence in your attendance on them? They now start a quarrel. And don't you exert yourself in the least to restrain them? Therefore, with obloquy and hard words, they rated the two girls for a time in such a way that none of them could put in a word by way of reply, but felt compelled to listen patiently. And it was only after Dowager Lady Jia had taken Bao Yu away with her that things quieted down again. One day passed, then came the third of the moon. This was Xu Peng's birthday. So in their house, a banquet was spread and preparations made for a performance. And to these, the various inmates of the Jia mansion went. But as Bao Yu had so hurt Dai Yu's feelings, the two cousins saw nothing whatever of each other, and conscience-stricken, despondent, and unhappy as he was at this time, could he have had any inclination to be present at the place? Hence it was that he refused to go on the pretext of indisposition. Lin Dai Yu had got, a couple of days back, 
but a slight touch of the sun and naturally there was nothing much to matter with her when the news however reached her that he did not intend to join the party if with his weakness for wine and for theatricals she pondered within herself he now chooses to stay away instead of going why that quarrel with me yesterday must be at the bottom of it all if this isn't the reason well then it must be that he has no wish to attend as he sees that i'm not going either but i should on no account have cut the tassels from that jade for i feel sure he won't wear it again i shall therefore have to string some more on to it before he puts it on on this account the keenest remorse gnawed her heart Dowager lady Jia saw well enough that they were both under the influence of temper we should avail ourselves on this occasion she said to herself to go over and look at the place and as soon as the two young people come face to face everything will be squared contrary to her expectations neither of them would volunteer to go this so exasperated their old grandmother that she felt vexed with them in what part of my previous existence could an old sufferer like myself she exclaimed have incurred such retribution that my destiny is to come across these two troublesome new-fledged foes why not a single day goes by without their being instrumental in worrying my mind the proverb is indeed correct which says that people who are not enemies are not brought together but shortly my eyes shall be closed this breath of mine shall be snapped and those two enemies will be free to cause trouble even up to the very skies for as my eyes will then lose the power of vision and my heart will be void of concern it will really be nothing to me but i couldn't very well stifle this breath of life of mine while inwardly a prey to resentment she also melted into tears these words were brought to the ears of Bao Yu and Dai Yu. Neither of them had hitherto heard the adage, people who are not enemies are not brought together. So when they suddenly got to know the line, it seemed as if they had apprehended abstraction. Both lowered their heads and meditated on the subtle sense of the saying. But unconsciously a stream of tears rolled down their cheeks. They could not, it is true, get a glimpse of each other, Yet, as the one was in the Xiaoxiang Lodge, standing in the breeze, bedewed with tears, and the other in the Yi Hong Court, facing the moon and heaving deep sighs, was it not, in fact, a case of two persons living in two distinct places, yet with feelings emanating from one and the same heart? Zheren consequently tendered advice to Bao Yu. You are a million times to blame, she said. It's you who are entirely at fault. For when some time ago the pages in the establishment wrangled with their sisters, or when husband and wife fell out, and you came to hear anything about it, you blew up the lads and called them fools for not having the heart to show some regard to girls. And now here you go and follow their lead. But tomorrow is the fifth day of the moon, a great festival, and will you two still continue like this, as if you were very enemies? If so, our venerable mistress will be the more angry, and she certainly will be driven sick. I advise you, therefore, to do what's right by suppressing your spite, 
and confessing your fault, so that we should all be on the same terms as hitherto. You here will then be all right, and so will she over there. Pao Yu listened to what she had to say, but whether he fell in with her views or not is not yet ascertained. Yet, if you, reader, choose to know, we will explain in the next chapter. End of section 10